0: Teachers are so important, like they actually are.
1: Care about it and like actually try. I
2: believe it is a beautiful piece of art. Welcome along to See Me After Class for 2020. This is a podcast that emanates from a beautiful school in the Southern Alps of New Zealand. Now, let's meet the team.
1: And here is Cathy, a parent who aspires to make connections in a community to build a successful future.
0: This is Chris, who aspires to be an agitator, who tests the boundaries just to see how the system reacts.
2: And this is Anna, a silent observer who's a go-between between the students and the teachers in a classroom.
0: This is Renee, who aspires to forge a progressive and creative path.
2: And together, we are See Me After Class.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome along to See Me After Class. It is week one of the school holidays. This is episode 45, and I've got Chris and Kathy here today. Hello. 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 How how are
2: we, team? Oh, well, I'm obviously fantastic because it's week one of the school holidays. We haven't actually recorded in the school holidays before, so this is our holiday sales.
0: Well, there's a, there are a lot of things we're doing that we haven't done before in this altered state of being we're in. That's true. Isn't it just?
2: Yes. I mean, I, I think that one of the things that I probably haven't done for for a while is so little, <laughs> which has been pretty great. <laughs> I know that's not true of you, though, Kathy.
0: No, I am doing more than I normally would. <laughs> that's not yeah. ideal, is it? But I suppose that's what no, th- global th- pandemic crisis does for a community. Some people I think, get sucked into the vortex and, um, yeah, in one way, shape, or form. Others don't.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely changed the uh, balance of responsibilities, hasn't it, quite quite dramatically for some people. I know that, I'm, that Renee and I will definitely be full-on, full-time teaching as soon as the term starts mm. up again. And it was quite interesting that they brought our holiday forward like this because, um, yeah, this is the thing about teaching is we have these amazing holidays, but we don't choose when we have them.
1: Yeah, I I actually found this a little bit interesting, Chris, and I'll be keen to hear your thoughts. I feel a little bit interrupted in terms of where my program was at with the um, holidays being brought forward. All of a sudden, I'm going to have these two weeks that should have actually been now. Um, to do in term two. So I don't know how you're feeling about that, but it's made me feel a little bit disjointed.
2: Uh, Yeah, I, I plan ahead like that as well. So it is quite interesting to suddenly have these two weeks of work just sort of truncated and then to have to resume following. I guess we both did not a bad job, I think, of carrying on our programs, even though we started teaching remotely. We probably could have continued. I'm a little bit anxious, actually, about the fact that the holiday's been shifted this way, which means that we're going to have the longest term ever coming up next.
1: I know. Oh, oh, I've been thinking about, I've been trying not to think about this because particularly in the first week of the holidays, I have learned to really shut myself off from school and shut down. Um, But man, that's going to be an enormous term. And it's going to be like. 12 weeks
2: of term I think it is and the other thing I think they've probably acknowledged tacitly at least is that we use our holidays to prepare for teaching so they've given us our holidays and I guess I have to put those you know imaginary inverted commas around the term because they want us to use this time to prepare ourselves to do our teaching offline and so I know that that's what we'll spend the second week doing but um, I've definitely taken a break and it has been pretty amazing although I have stayed in touch with the kids because I've been reading with them We've been um
1: I saw that. Yeah, we've
2: been calling each other up on Discord and just reading to each other and discussing the texts and it like we thought like I talked about I would, but oh it's actually been the most delightful thing. I think partly because the weather's been so great and because I've just been connecting audio only, I've been going and sitting outside and reading the book with them and oh. it's, it's almost like reading to yourself. It's just been a, a very yeah. gentle, warm, companionable th- experience and I've really been glad to have kept it going over the holidays. That's so cold.
1: That's really lovely. Have you had much of a turnout from your class?
2: No, it's mainly just been the students who struggle to read independently. But that's been a nice group. And then maybe one or two others who will pop in, m- not consistently, but maybe to one or two of the sessions. So small numbers, you know, the, uh, maybe a group of three or four who are who are online at the same time. But that's it, probably why I've enjoyed it so much, because it's just felt like a, a, a cosy group of people sharing the reading of a book. And it, it, yeah, yeah, book club. It's book club. Been, it's, yeah, it's been like a book club. It's been just lovely. it's so nice. Yeah, it also, informal.
0: It also sounds a lot like a parent reading to children. You know, yeah, and the, the uh, yeah. whole coziness. You know, the snuggling up on that's the couch right. or in bed and reading before going to sleep, for example, which was a tradition in our house for years and years. And, yeah, um, yeah, and
2: I've, I understand that's a pretty great family tradition and it's not quite what we do in secondary school. I mean, we've got the technical term guided reading and it certainly doesn't involve <laughs> snuggling up, but I guess we're probably crossing <laughs> some of that. Like like this is probably much more like that than anything we'd ever do in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. Yeah, it's been good. You, um, Kathy, brought a topic to our attention, which I thought would be an excellent thing for us to discuss. So how did this come about in your mind? Yeah,
0: so you mentioned the night weather we've been having and it has been absolutely glorious it's been a really warm it doesn't even feel like autumn it feels like summer in our part of the world and in this um, new age of covid life where we are into we're over a week into our stage four lockdown period here in new zealand um that of course brings up challenges and questions for people about what they are and are not supposed to be doing in terms of their um bubbles and their reach and without going into you know all the technicalities of it i mean the bottom line is you're meant to be staying home and not straying very far by all means go out and exercise but do it in your neighborhood don't drive um, to exercise for example um and not being too far away are all parts of things we're meant to be doing but what we have seen and what if you've been out at all um, you would have seen is a lot of people not obeying the rules and so this topic of obedience or disobedience or um, compliance when there are suddenly rules put on our life that we're not used to particularly in a society here where we're very we do we are very fortunate to be in a peaceful um, free country where we don't generally have our civil liberties impinged upon and we're living in a different time. And we're doing it for health safety reasons. Um, but there have been instances like groups of people gathering socially um, swimming in the lake jumping off bridges biking in places perhaps are not supposed to or driving to exercise. Um, yeah, and so it just it's an interesting thing when you feel like you should be able to do some things or what you know, what is going on in people's minds that makes them think, well, it's fine for me to go break the rules. They may not be aware of them, or they might. Um, Yeah, so I just wanted to bring that because that is something that you know, as I am involved in the emergency response, we do talk a lot a lot about is non compliance with the rules, and how from from that emergency response perspective, it just seems so stupid when it's going to um, prolong this period of you know of lockdown. Um, if we end up with more virus transmission because of it,
2: I guess I'd um, put it into a larger context and think about how all young people, because we I think with the the groups that we're talking about largely are young people, tends to have a less um natural relationship with the following of rules. Quite often I believe because they don't have a lot of purchase or say in the making of the rules. So there's a lot of rules imposed imposed on young people and some of the rules on young imposed on young people are just so arbitrary. Like for example, you know, young men in my school can't have moustaches, for example. <laughs> <Not shade their laughs> you know, <there's> <laughs> and so sometimes it gets to the point where because the rules In some, from some points of view, are just arbitrary. That they're quite accustomed to abandoning the rules when they, for when they're making their own momentary judgments often influenced by each other to prioritize something else and social connections definitely often over override rules but i also wanted to that's the young person context but another context that came to mind while you're talking kathy is the is to say the rules around the consumption of alcohol like the social rules and then the legal rules and i know that in you know drinking and driving is something that's there's been a lot of public health communication about but there's also a lot of it done and i think uh, that that one of the reasons that people perhaps do put themselves in those positions where they 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 break the rules and put other people in danger as a result is because they either think that they are Um, able to handle the situation or that the rules don't apply for that to them for some specific reason or they are uh, largely um, not thinking in terms of the others when they're making their decisions they're more concentrating on themselves and I think that people are more inclined to to observe rules when they are part of the mechanism of the construction of the rules as opposed to being uh, subject to them only. Would you agree that, with that, perhaps?
0: Yes, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's, it, it's a loss of control. I mean, that's what really what you're indicating for young people. And in, in their everyday lives, they're subject to an awful lot of arbitrary or seemingly arbitrary rules, seemingly to them. Um, hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, and I'm not when we talk about the lockdown behavior, it isn't just the young people who you know, we're saying not following the rules. But I think that general principle of human psyche applies is if you're not a part of um, if you're not a part of the construct, you don't necessarily feel it should apply to you if you have a different idea of what that construct should look like. So um, and it certainly there there are a lot of parallels with the educational um, world, I think around this whole idea of, of discipline and control. And group management, really. It's human behavior management that we're talking about.
2: That's true, and I think there are also many diverse views about how we should respond to those things. Like there are some people that think that punishment should be the natural outcome, that we should punish people when uh, a rule is broken. And I I find it very troubling, but they often use the word consequences, and I find that uh, misuse of language because I Mm -hmm. think the, the consequences for actions are things that occur as a result of those actions punishments are the things that they're actually talking about which are are, are mechanisms that we create to um, to prevent people from breaching rules that we don't want them to breach hopefully probably to avoid the consequences that will occur if they if those, those behaviors are continued and then other people want to t- to move into a more sort of negotiated um engaged process of discussion and 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 resolution i know that um i saw that there were some people who were filming or photographing the people who were breaking the rules and then making quite alarmist statements sort of everyone's looking for example for the police to go and kind of I don't know arrest them I'm not exactly sure what they want the police to do they want some they want some kind of punitive response and I'm thinking gosh I don't know if I if I think about myself as a teacher I don't know if I'd go step 1 to a punitive approach when someone break, breaks a rule especially a social rule
1: I um agree with you there, Chris. I think possibly it comes from being in, in the classroom all the time and and as Kathy said, managing a group of people and their sort of behaviour from time to time. But I guess um I had that same instinct that that people want um to see a, a punishment occur for these people that are breaking these rules and I just don't feel like that's the right or that maybe not the first port of call that we should be calling on when we're trying to um Establish this new kind of way of living. I think there's definitely another road, and and um, my first instinct would be to, you know, have a chat. And I think that that's something. By the sounds of some of the, st- the some of the reports and media releases that are coming out, that our police force have been doing is that they've taken, um, according to them, this this conversational approach. This kind of let's talk about this first, and let me point out why this is possibly going to have um, some negative consequences.
2: What's your initial response? I know that you've been putting so much effort into protecting us with the various um, organizations that you're involved in. What's your response when you see people not doing their bit?
0: It's frustrating because I see Mm. it as part of the bigger picture. I know what the consequences are. I don't feel that strongly on the punishment side. I would want, I guess there's this general approach of assuming beneficial intent. That I try to take in, in general in life, um, and that's really what Renee is describing. When the police take a conversational approach, and you think to yourself, "Well, maybe they don't understand the rules, or um, it's not there hasn't been necessarily clarity around some of it." But over time, that the rules have gotten clearer and clearer, starting with central government and filtering on down. So it's unlikely people aren't aware of what they uh, what the boundaries are supposed to be now. And so I, I guess I mostly am sad when I see some of it too, because it indicates me people aren't thinking about the greater good. And that's indicative of a lot of aspects of society. These days, it has fueled some of the political conversations in our district over the last year or so, this sense of I'm only interested in what's what I think is good for me, as opposed to looking up and looking out and taking some responsibility for something outside myself, which in this case is the So, the health of a whole community and ultimately a nation. And that's, I think, something like this pandemic brings that home in such a tangible way that we are actually so connected. And the fact that, you know, someone breathing and the, you know, touching in, in one place in another part of the world comes to Auckland, comes to Queenstown, comes to Wanaka so easily when the, you know, a virus can piggyback that whole way. Um, and cause such and create such havoc. I mean, because that's essentially what's happened all and repeatedly all around the world.
2: I would think, though, that, I'm, that that perception of perhaps people thinking acting from selfish motives is also created by the culture and the shifts in the culture that we've seen over the last few decades, this sort of capitalist, enlightened self-interest approach to things and sort of amplified by social media's performative me, me, me nature. It doesn't surprise me that people are now acting in their own interests as opposed to perhaps their sort of deep appreciation of their effect on others although I mean all of us would consider that to be an unfulfilling way to be I think it's also something that's often promoted and encouraged and I'd also say that that the when that people often act in with it with consideration to others when they understand that they have Influence are powerful in that way. When they believe, when they when they recognise their own ability to make a difference in the lives of other people, it often comes from a place of quite a lot of empowerment in, inside yourself. And I think that you and Renee and I probably quite, quite explicitly feel quite empowered, and therefore it's quite easy for us to sort of feel our sort of feel keenly our responsibility to other people at times like this because we're accustomed to imagining ourselves in that way i think one of the things that maybe happens for young people and i know i'm speaking for young people i'm not a young person myself is that they don't actually have a lot of experience of perceiving themselves as having significant impact on the world or influence on others
1: I think, that I, I mean, I like to think of myself as a young person still, so I could speak for the young people here.
2: <laughs> See, I'm sorry, I'm classifying you in the old person category okay, with us. It's all right, I had my knitting
1: needles out last night, so I feel like I fall into that category. Um,
2: yes, more than, you've knitted more than I have in your life, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: um, I. It's interesting, because I think, particularly with this virus, and often with a lot of things, um, Including the drink driving thing that you were just talking about before, Chris, there's there's a definite um uh, mentality that we're that that the young people are ten foot tall and bulletproof, as my father would probably say. Um, and particularly with this pandemic, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of information coming out that it affects a very specific part of the population more severely than others, and that part of the population doesn't appear to be younger people. And so there's possibly also that side of the um, thinking process there that oh, this is probably not going to really affect me that much, and they don't have that second flow on thought of, but it will affect the rest of my bubble or the rest of my family or the rest of my um, elderly population of neighbours or people with underlying health conditions. So I think there's a little bit of that possibly going on too.
0: I think we mentioned last week the fact that the young people, because they, well, particularly pre-lockdown, because they're so social and and gather quite a lot, that they're the spreaders, you know, even though they may not even be affected. Um, And I guess what I keep, what really makes me Um, take pause at the moment is the fact that here where we live right here in this beautiful part of the world we our district our region and our district have the highest numbers of cases in the country and we're just this tiny Mm. little piece and we're disproportionately affected and so when you have the numbers that we have that community transmission piece even though it may not be identified hugely now it it kind of seems inevitable so that's why the lockdown makes so much sense to me I do put it into some pretty objective um, categories in my thinking and I can just see how it would work if we all stay in place and if we follow the rules and how we could actually beat this thing and I can see how easily it will slip away out of our control if we don't so I think therein lies my um, highest level of emotional frustration is when I can, when I don't have control of um, other people's behaviors, and I can see that some of those behaviors are going to, um, you know, have us slip into that higher transmission phase.
2: Mm. I think when I'm trying to change the behavioral choices of young people and I want those choices to be different when I'm not there, then I always want to do it through the mode of sort of engaging them in th- th- where they are rather than trying to impose my will upon them. And I'm st- and trying to think how you might apply that in this situation. I mean, I, I guess it is about positive social messaging, but I guess it's also, I mean, I think, to be honest, yes, of course you can take photographs of people jumping off the Albert Town Bridge en masse and say this is just not appropriate behaviour for a lockdown and that that would be right. But another thing to do could be to actually... Sort of at a safe distance, engage in a conversation with those people and communicate the fact that this is not a good thing to be doing at this time and share your thoughts about what not. I'm not talking about you personally, Kathy. I'm saying the people who are up in arms about this. Um, share, share your thoughts about the risks that are being taken. That kind of more, I guess it takes a bit of courage, but I think that's the sort of thing that perhaps we can be starting to learn to do at the moment. I
0: think that's right, and and all the people who do step aside on the tracks. I mean, when I was running this afternoon myself, you know, people are very much giving each other the wide berth, and we're still talking and saying hello. And I think it goes back to that connection. We are Mm -hmm. still people, and I would much rather those conversations happen, as you say, Chris. With if people are um, doing something that's really not within the approved, you know, behaviors. Um, there is nothing wrong with anyone speaking up politely and and kindly and with an assumption of, um, look, let's let's work on this together. Um, so it would be great to see more of that because there is some pretty um, vitriolic behavior that's coming out in response to it. And I don't want to be sitting here either, the three of us on our kind of moral high ground judging this whole thing. It's just really interesting to kind of delve into the um, the, the psyche of what's going on in, in different people in their own reactions mm. to this crisis, because everyone's going to react in, in different ways. And it, this is not, um, mm. you know, this isn't how we're used to, to living. It's a very difficult, different time that we're in.
2: Yeah. I think I would approach it by sometimes perhaps saying, um, like asking, asking open questions, you know, had you thought about the, the, um, it, the, the, the incompatibility of what you're doing with the distancing rules at the moment, those sort of questions. I, I think people often really aren't equipped with approaches as well, which is what leaves them in that place of feeling frustrated and uh, maybe a little bit condemning.
1: I think it's something that we as teachers, Chris, obviously learn to do when we become a teacher. Um, and there's probably a lot there that, you know, that um, those learning how to have those conversations um could be really beneficial for the rest of our country or population yeah. because they, they do tend to, in the end, at some point, um, come naturally in that classroom context. And it's the same thing can be applied here. It's that same sort of um, those guiding questions to get someone to think about their own behavior rather than trying to t- sit them down and tell them off and enforce your will upon them. I think that's what we need to be aiming for.
2: Another strategy that we use with young people is just the state, the obvious, is literally just name what's mm. happening rather than making any judgment about it at all. And that can be quite powerful, I think, with adults as well. <laughs> Though, as I said in our conversation before we started, I think sometimes I use a few too many of my classroom strategies in my communication with adults. And um, I know that that's not always well placed. Oh, good, Not always a good choice.
0: <laughs> and I said sometimes it is. <laughs> Sometimes just it's
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think in, I think in those, those, social, those uh, public situations, they can work quite well. I do notice that actually in public situations where something needs to be done, it often is a teacher or mm. a nurse who seems to be the one who knows to act and also how to interact with people that they don't know in order to direct them to do something in a moment of crisis or difficulty. And I think perhaps that's just because we often do that in our daily lives. So we sort of know the, the language and the stance to take.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a shared kind of um, knowledge there for sure. I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn. I think also Mm -hmm. a lot of this, um, I want to call it almost naming and shaming that goes on online um, with photographs being taken comes from a lot of people's fear around this situation. People don't know um, sometimes how to respond when they feel afraid in particular and I think that's very much going on right now because it's so um, uncertain at the moment and we don't People don't really know how to think or what to feel.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, Renee. And I think that underlies just about everything that everyone is feeling, whether they recognize it or not. And it'll be interesting to see how it goes over time. You know, I think um, fear is driving a lot of it now. I think a couple of weeks from now it might be complacency. You know, if if we, mm. as we're seeing, yeah, if the numbers, if we see the lockdown having a positive impact on, on stopping or slowing the spread of the virus in New Zealand then um, people might feel like we're we're almost there Um, yeah so let's circle back on that in a couple weeks and see what we think it's
2: going to be very interesting actually because if we have ended up being successful in managing the spread of the virus then we've got some fairly difficult decisions to make about what happens next don't we Kathy you must have been talking about that already
0: Yes, there's a whole recovery phase that is already starting to be planned, mm. and there's a huge amount of work that will need to go into that.
2: Mm. Um,
0: but we're well and well and truly in the still in the response phase now. Yeah, um, yeah. With the needs only just starting to emerge, and yeah, that's going to get a lot worse before it gets better.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, it's going to be interesting. Mm. Well. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say on the matter. But I did think that the 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 idea that we think about some of the kind of, uh, I don't know, actions and consequences, processes that we use in, in schools and applying them to sort of civil society, it, that some of it does cross over, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It would be really handy if you and Renee could produce a, a little cheat sheet of uh, some of the, the tips that you've said today <laughs> around um, guiding questions and stating the obvious and how you can get um, slightly more, yeah, co- collaboration in the, the construct of rules, I think would would be helpful for all of us. I'll just have to dig
1: out my behavior record sheet from grad school and they'll all be listed on there for everybody.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah there, there is probably something that the teaching profession can add to this maybe Renee and I you you and I could do a short podcast edition where we just run through a few of the what like you yeah. would call the, in in school you'd call them behavior management approaches but they're um they're things that you, I, we probably could use in situations where we wanted to intervene with a group of people who were perhaps acting dangerously
0: Yeah definitely I would love that because, um, as you know, and as we haven't yet really discussed with our listeners, I do wear that um, a- occasional hat as well in the classroom. And um, I certainly, as a non-teacher, would very much benefit from that. So please, yes, please.
2: Oh. All right. <laughs> Shall awesome. we do it, Renee?
0: I think so. That'd be cool. Okay, that That sounds great. Shall we finish with my funny story about my not quite disobedience, but um, was just such perfect timing before the podcast? which is that I went for a run just an hour before we recorded today in a place that I, my favorite place to run, it is hilly and in a forest um, that you two will be very familiar with. And I've had no trouble at all over the last couple of years that I've spent time in there, hundreds of runs. And um, as I was thinking the whole way through, I have not been in there since the lockdown because I was just that little bit nervous. I thought, well, I don't feel it at all. It's a, a dangerous place or out of my reach, but You never, you know, that's the sort of thing that we're not supposed to be doing is anything that might put ourselves in danger that might require someone to come help us. And what happened, but only when I was on probably the easiest part of the whole thing, did I trip and fall over a tree, a tree root And it was like in a movie slow motion. I could see, I knew I couldn't stop it. It was coming and there I was sprawled on the ground and with, you know, bruises and scrapes on my knees, ankle, shoulder and um, palms and no serious damage done at all, but it was I just found it so ironic that me, the rule follower, um was <laughs> I was following the rules, but it just sort of reminded me that I need to take some of this stuff seriously. Or maybe it's just a reminder that I'm getting old.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I think I think a time like this does kind of draw your attention to your vulnerability. I've been for a few bike rides on familiar roads, and in one of those, I, think it's be- I would imagine it's because the road surface management people are not operating at the moment. There was a big pothole. I went over it, gave me a flat tire. I had all my tire repair equipment. I was able to repa- repair the tire and carry on, but it was um, an interesting thought about, right, well, I've just used up my spare tube now, so I can't have another spare tire, and I really don't want to be that person who calls on someone to come and rescue me. It was a, quite a similar experience. Like we're getting quite used to these days having constant access to immediate assistance, aren't we?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think that's been the thing that all along that, you know, um, has has driven these rules is people um, don't want to have to break their bubble to come and get you. um, Mm, mm. And we shouldn't expect them to to have to. But it is amazing how much you come to just have that tucked in the back of your mind that, oh, no, so-and-so can come and grab me if anything goes wrong out here. And you don't even really consciously think about Mm. it most of the time.
2: Well, from where where you run from, I think if you've got a loud enough voice, Kathy, I'm sure if you were incapacitated, you could probably call for help and um, someone would hear you.
0: (laughs) But then honestly, I was thinking to myself, no one's going to want to touch me. You know, they're not going to want to pick me up off the ground because Mm. um, they're not in my bubble. But, oh, look, I was fine. I'm reasonably fit. So I wasn't, it was just a little um, interesting reminder of the times we live in.
2: Yeah, well, Ivan and I have, 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 are on our fourteenth day of self isolation tomorrow, and do, and I and I'm well, one thing I'm quite proud to report is that my four, my two week shopping spree that I did before we went into isolation before he got back from Italy, it got us there. Like we've still got food and we're still eating well and everything else is good. So we're going to be able to go to the supermarket after tomorrow.
1: Yay! Great. And you're both well.
0: Wow.
2: Yes, and we're both well, which is That's really awesome. good fortune. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, team. Look forward to next time. Be careful Great. out there.
2: Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah, likewise. Bye. See you, you soon. You too.
1: <laughs> Bye. Bye.
2: This was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net.
1: And mine is at Renee Plunkett too.
2: See you next week.